In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisconsin's won six straight games. They take care of Northwestern 35 to 7 yesterday, Jesse. It wasn't exactly the type of game I think uh, all of us were expecting in terms of, you know, some of the uh, playing time for everybody. But again, Wisconsin continues to roll. They take care of uh, this is the first time in this series with uh, Paul Christ as the head coach that they've won by more than 14. This time they win by 28. Probably should have been more, but it was another dominant effort and a both a complete effort, I would say, on, on both sides of the ball. I think that's fair to say this team keeps getting better and better each week. It's really been a remarkable run this season. Um, I don't think anybody envisioned when Wisconsin was sitting at one and three that they would reel off six straight wins and, and look the way they have and put themselves in position to be a top 15 team in the college football playoff rankings that came into the weekend at number 18. And it just feels like I don't know how either of the last two teams left on Wisconsin's schedule can beat them when they're playing this complete uh, of football. And we'll get into Nebraska uh, on Thursday because uh, they, they've had some, they've had some turnover since uh, the last time they played uh, having to fire four offensive coaches. And they didn't obviously play this past week, got a bias. They got a little bit of some rest before they have to play Wisconsin. And they have given almost everybody they've played a tight game. So we'll see what next Saturday looks like, but you're right. Minnesota, continues to struggle they lose at Iowa Wisconsin tied with the Hawkeyes atop the Big Ten West at five and two obviously they own the tiebreaker with them and if Wisconsin wins their next two it won't matter what Iowa does and um, Iowa I believe has who do they have they have I know they've got uh, Nebraska I don't know I can't remember off the top of my head who they have next week I guess it doesn't really matter the way that Wisconsin's playing it's uh, kind of irrelevant who Iowa is playing or how they've got Illinois. Yeah. They've got Illinois in Iowa city and then Iowa plays at Nebraska on black Friday. Yep. Great. Thank you. Uh, So Wisconsin, I mean, I mean, obviously things will, we'll see how it goes, but certainly Wisconsin is playing the best football in the big 10 West and they are playing the best defense. There's no doubt about that, but their offense has finally found its footing here. These last I think it started obviously with Illinois and the way they were able to run the ball, but their passing game has come around too. I, let's let's start though with uh, the story of the last six weeks, and that is Braylon Allen, another 100-yard game. He's got six straight. That's the most since uh, by a freshman since Anthony Davis had six in 2001. He was clearly not 100, percent but with no Ches Malusi, he got uh, a lot more carries than I thought he was going to get. He ended up with 25 all within the first three quarters of the game, didn't play in the fourth quarter, uh, runs for 173 yards, three touchdowns. And he said, and I'm sure uh, it'll be brought up next year when they play Northwestern. He said that Northwestern, after his first couple of carries, you could tell he didn't want to tackle them. They were just bouncing off of him, not really wrapping up or anything like that. And um, his last touchdown run was probably what was a culmination of it because three different guys had a chance to bring him down. They couldn't. He goes for 33 yards and a score and his day is done. He's had a lot of really good runs in six weeks, but to me that has been the defining run because it was like, this is what Braylon is all about. You wear him down. It's classic Wisconsin football. And he bounced off three dudes. And I can't disagree with anything that he said. Maybe Northwestern in their mind thought they could tackle him, but it didn't, it didn't materialize on the field. And so he had that 33 yard touchdown run. I was talking to Brady Shipper after the game and he said he was on the sideline. And right after the play, he looked at running backs coach, Gary Brown, 
And they were just like, wow, he's going to be different. And then, and Chipper said, if he's able to do that on his 25th carry, that's pretty freaking impressive. The fact that he kept getting better as the carries stacked up. Braylon, as you mentioned, was one of, if not the stories of the game. And so he's who I wrote about. And I do think it's going to be very interesting to monitor how the coaching staff utilizes him. Now, what happened on Saturday is probably what they'll do moving forward. And I admit I was, I was wrong because I thought Julius Davis was going to have a bigger role. Paul Chris, the way he spoke about him so positively uh, and at such length made me believe that he would be the number two, especially what we saw last week. But no, it was the Braylon Allen show. He carried 18 times in the first half. Brady Shippers, the number two running back now, carried twice. And it, it makes you wonder what happens if something does happen to Braylon because there was a carry late in the first quarter. He had a 13-yard run around the left sideline, and he came up limping afterward. And he's he is their running game right now. So fortunately for the Badgers, he was okay. He said it was just kind of an ankle injury that stung for a few seconds, and he was fine. But it's been incredible what he's done. That's that's kind of a long-winded way of saying I'm just kind of in awe of, of this rise that he's had so quickly. I've, I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion, like they know he's dinged up. He went to the sideline, wasn't in the injury tent. It's not like he got his ankles retaped. A trainer barely even came to talk to him. I think those are that. I think that's where the body soreness is. Um, you know where the or what do you say, general soreness, whatever the heck it was. Uh, I, I kind of think that's where it is, and um, they know what he's dealing with, and it's just going to continue to be something where it's kind of pain management. And he was able to come back in. That's so. I, the ankle injury. I, I think those are. I don't want to say reoccurring, but it kind of feels like it is that's kind of where the lower body for sure is where uh, I think a lot of his issues are but yeah 25 carries in three quarters is just insane Julius Davis who I think we all kind of expected and to be honest with you, I thought Paul Chris kind of gave the the idea that Julius Davis would be a part of the game plan a little bit earlier than when he was he didn't get in there until the fourth quarter fumbles and then gets gets taken out, put in Jackson Aker. He fumbles. He gets taken out to put the first team offense back in there. And then, you know, Julius was able to return. And I think that was probably important. And I think Paul said that same thing afterwards. It was important for him to get back in there after the fumble, get him a little bit uh, uh, more, com- get his confidence back up. And, and he finished fine. But yeah, what Braylon Allen is doing as a true freshman, we, we, we saw this, what, four years ago with, with Jonathan Taylor, uh, certainly at a, a little bit of a higher level. Right. Would you, you would agree, right? Yes. Um, the thing I would say though, is the more I've, I've been hesitant to try and compare these two and, and because of what Jonathan did that year, I mean, he ran for almost 2000 yards. He finished sixth in the Heisman trophy voting, but like, I feel like Braylon's starting to get pretty darn close to that level. So, uh, it's close, but I would, yeah. I would give the edge to Jonathan different backs for sure. However, uh, well, and I totally agree in trying to compare them. It's it's not probably an easy thing to do. And yet I asked a bunch of guys the question yesterday because a lot of these guys were here when Jonathan Taylor was a freshman. Um, Jake Ferguson was a, uh, it was his true freshman year. And I asked him yesterday, kind of like, have you seen, they're different players, but have you seen a little bit? He goes, this is a quote. He said, there's a couple times I'm blocking like, oh, this play is over. There's no way. And he'll bounce it out and go for another 20. That's a little JT-like where you think the play is over and he's still going. Um, Danny Davis said, uh, quote, of course, they're different people, but for sure I see similarities, no doubt. Both ran hard as hell, left it all in the field. 
I think that one touchdown Allen had today, and I think he's referring to the third one. I definitely saw a little glimpse of JT in that one. I love the way he's he works. So I mean, and Tyler Beach wouldn't compare him either, but he both said they're pretty both they're pretty damn good backs, and they and uh, they both do some of the things that are out of the uh, very out of the ordinary for running backs to do. So I would JT was a blend of uh, speed, vision, power. Like he had it all. Braylon is power. Seems like he's got some pretty good vision. He doesn't have the the elite, the elite speed that JT had, but what he's doing as a true freshman, especially at 17, I think is starting to, uh, if not, it's not at the JT level, but he's starting to creep towards that area. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And, and again, uh, it's what Jonathan Taylor did in his freshman year is I don't know if from start to finish that will be matched by anyone anytime soon. Because if you think about it, I, I wrote about this late last week. But throughout the whole season, he finished with 299 carries. He averaged 21.3 carries per game. And he was the guy by week two. Braylon, obviously, it took a little bit longer for him. And, and even then, he wasn't the number one until this week. Until now, he'd only been averaging about 13 carries per game. And 16 carries per game in that stretch where it was a one-two tandem with, with Ches Malusi. The thing that JT did that was ridiculous, and, and I think we saw on Saturday, it was the most I'd seen of Braylon, was, is the yards um, per carry after contact and just the yards in general after contact. Taylor had 1,355 yards after contact that season. That's four and a half yards after contact per rush. A lot of running backs don't average four and a half yards for a whole season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yes, I, I mean, it, it's natural to, to draw comparisons. And I do think that Braylon is getting closer to that level, but that, that year, just what Taylor did um, is, is unmatched. Uh, but the fact that we're even having this discussion says a lot about what Braylon Allen's done. And honestly, it's just miraculous to think about this run of running backs that Wisconsin has had. I mean, they don't go more than one or two years without having a guy who might be the best in the country or one of the three or four best running backs in the country. Yeah. Did you, now you have all your pro football focus stats. Do, uh, did, what were the numbers on Braylon Allen's after contact yesterday? Well, I've got the number right in front of me. So do you want to, you want to take a guess on his 173 yards rushing, how many yards, he had after contact. Well, I remember, I remember turning to you and being like, I can't wait to see what his after contact numbers were. So, uh, uh during the game yesterday, so I, um, I'm going to say a hundred and 20. It's a pretty good guess. 139 yards after contact, uh, on Saturday, which is preposterous. Uh, that is by far his best performance of the season before that time. He had for the entire year, well, for the last five games, he had 339 yards after contact. So he had 139 on Saturday. Just ridiculous. It is. That's just, that is a, an insane number, but it's also kind of like after, you know, watching that yesterday, I kind of felt like that number was going to be pretty high, but yeah, 80% of his yards came after contact yesterday. And it kind of lends yourself to the idea that Northwestern didn't have a huge uh, interest in tackling him because if, uh, <laughs> yes. you, know, you know what I mean? But yeah, he was great. And like the, he actually, we got to see him in the past game a little bit too. Uh, his first touch of the game was actually in, uh, was actually a, I don't know, was it a check down to, to him uh, for, from Graham Mertz goes for 16 yards, first touch. And they went play action on the first play, which makes complete sense and kind of feel like that, that should be uh more often, but we'll get into Graham in a second. 
where would you put Braylon Allen in terms of it's only 10 games and he hasn't even been the guy for much of that time, but what's his ceiling in terms of where he would finish, where he would be in this great line of Wisconsin running backs? What do you think? Very difficult question. Yeah, that's a really tough one to answer. I, I mean, you're projecting. He, he, well, we're starting to use in the conversation of Braylon and what he's done this year. We're using names like JT, Anthony Davis, Ron Dane. Those are the only other three freshmen to have more hundred yard rushing games in a season. And Braylon's season isn't done. Um, like a long way to go, but to me, he can get into that upper echelon conversation. I think there's a couple guys that you're just probably not going to surpass Taylor won two Doak Walker awards. Dane won a Heisman trophy and, and his overall, both their overall bodies of work were incredible. Monte balls was too. Um, Melvin Gordon had the best single season I've ever seen, but I think he can be in that conversation. Eventually. i I think a question I would throw back to you that maybe is more applicable to this season is where would you rank him in the most important players, uh, to the team right now. Oh, currently? Currently? Yes. Well, what are their goals? Their goals are to win the Big Ten West and then win a Big Ten title, right? So my I would put him right up there with Graham Mertz. Yeah, those would be my top two. But who's number one? <laughs> can I hedge? No. Yeah, um, you can pull a, pull a me and hedge. Can I pull a, a Temple? And one B. Yeah, one A and one B. Yeah. I would probably say... I'd probably say Graham, number one, just because if the passing game has come along, it's the only way that they have a shot to beat Ohio State is if they're able to to throw the ball like they have the last couple of weeks or at least have the um, potential to throw the ball they have the way they have the last couple of weeks. And I don't think Chase Wolf can do it. And now I, I have no clue if there's anybody behind it. The, the drop-off the drop off from Graham to, to Chase at this point is pretty significant. And the drop-off from Braylon to the next person is also pretty significant, but there's a lot more that goes into the running game than just the running back. The, the, obviously, Braylon's been able to, you know, you don't go for 139 yards after contact if, if everything is blocked up perfectly, but the offense line has given him some room to run. Uh, that's, a, that's a really tough question. I, I guess I would say Graham, but, but by a very small margin, just based on what their goals are. What about you? I would probably put Mertz first simply because you have to evaluate the options behind him. And even though Allen is right now playing far and away the best football of any tailback on the roster and that number has dwindled, I think they could put in other guys and potentially be serviceable. Uh, no, in no way are any of them again, close to Allen, but since I don't want to hedge, I would put Mertz one and Allen too. But again, from a guy that came out of fall camp as the number five running back, the fact that I think in our minds, or at least my mind, I'll speak for myself. He's maybe the second most, Important player on the team is is incredible. No, I would agree. He's the second most important person on that on that offense, no doubt. Let's get to the most important, I guess the most important, who we think is, and that is Graham Mertz. Another really nice performance. 18 for 23, 216 yards, two touchdowns. The one interception, which um, was one of just maybe a hand, uh, one or two bad decisions, um, I think, for him. But that's back-to-back weeks now where he is – really put uh, a ton of really good film together. And it, it wasn't just one guy like last week, certainly shared the ball. Nine different guys had a catch and uh, you know, none had more than 
that than Ferguson with four. So I, it's another step, right? It's another step in the right direction. He has his passer rating over the last two weeks now is 196.2. He's completing 74% of his passes. It's, it was another really strong effort. Yeah, it was. Uh, he's, he's playing really good football right now. And I thought, again, other than that interception, uh, he was putting it on guys too. That's the other thing that stood Stealing. out. Just perfect throws that he had the, the 13 yard touchdown pass to, to Danny Davis that gave him the 14, nothing lead in the second quarter. I mean, he read that pretty well, right? Cause Northwestern was, was coming after him. And then I thought there was a later in the second quarter, there was a throw that he made to Ferguson right in front of him. There was a defensive back draped all over Ferguson and, and he still caught it for a 13 yard gain. And, Obviously, he deserves credit for bringing the ball in, but it was delivered in the perfect spot. He and Graham completed his first nine passes. Before his first incompletion didn't come until there was one forty-four left in the second quarter. He threw a long ball to Ferguson. It was just a little bit out of his reach. But I just think this is these last two weeks have really shown what this offense can be like when Graham can play this way. Eighteen for twenty-three for two sixteen with two touchdowns and a pick. That's that's pretty darn good. All of his. 18 completions went for first downs or touchdowns. Yeah, that's impressive. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned the the play action, like the the I think this is worth noting too. How much better he's been comparatively. And again, this was looking at some of those advanced numbers. It's sort of eye-opening uh, on play action. He he's completing so far this season 62.2% of his play action passes, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's averaging 11.7 yards per attempt. And then when he doesn't go play action, it's 57.1% for five touchdowns and nine interceptions. So all of his picks have been non-play action throws, and he's averaging 5.8 yards per attempt. Now, there are obviously some different factors involved in that, right? Um, I mean, you're when you go play action, you're, you've got the defense thinking one thing, and some of those other situations are more obvious throwing downs. But it does seem like, for whatever reason, that is part of his game, a part of a game that he excels at. And so I wonder if we'll see a little bit more of that moving forward. It, it was especially interesting. Some of the, like the first down throws that he, not the first down throws, but the ones that he, that resulted in a first down, the, some of the uh, down and distance they came on. I mean, first and 15, second and nine, third and nine, uh, first and 15, second, uh, um, second and 10, like a lot of them were long distance situations. It wasn't like third and short and he's finding a guy for a first down. Like a lot of these throws that resulted in first downs were uh, intermediate throws. And it felt like every single time he looked for some of those uh, in cutting the dig routes, they were wide open. And I, I don't know if Northwestern just didn't adjust, but it felt like the same throw over and over again. Yeah, I mean, this is not the best version of Northwestern football that we've seen, um, but I have to give Graham a lot of credit for what he's been able to do this season because several weeks ago, anybody who went on social media was would have seen people slamming him. And I think it's been, I don't know, if, would you say it's been a pleasant surprise, the turnaround of late? I mean, I, I feel like th this, is, this, is what, this is what I think I thought was possible for Graham, but I wondered whether it would, happen based on the way the performances have stacked up. Um, is that a fair thing to say? It's been yeah. a pleasant surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just him. The Correct. offensive line is, has given him time to, to throw and, you know, in a clean pocket, he's still very good. And just going through his reads more so, it, or so it appears 
than he did earlier in the season, just because I don't think he's as rushed as he was earlier in the year. I think, yes, that is a big element. I'm glad you brought that up too, because he wasn't sacked against Northwestern and he's been pretty clean the last handful of games. And that has made a tremendous difference. I don't think he's been sacked since the Purdue game. Yeah. I want to like see if I can find it. I know it's in here somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Yeah. He was so, he was, he was sacked twice against Purdue in the last three games, Iowa Rutgers and Northwestern. He hasn't been sacked once. So not a coincidence that the, the, the level of play goes up, the cleaner he's kept. Well, and that, and I think Paul Chris confidence and willingness to throw the ball has to go up as well. It's not just Graham and, and what he's been able to do. It's the, the uh, Chris confidence that he's going to be able to be upright long enough to be able to make some of these throws and the offensive line continues to, to make improvements. And um, again, they're going to face tougher competition, but I was front seven was as good as anybody's and uh, especially in the big 10 and it wasn't really touched and Rutgers and Northwestern, not, not really great. We'll see what uh, the uh, Nebraska defense can do. They've, they've been pretty, pretty good. All things considered this year, which uh, is a, is certainly a step away from where they've been for much of the time that they've been in this conference. But the offensive line, both in the run game and the pass game, has improved significantly from earlier in the year. I think that's safe to say. Correct? Right? I mean, oh, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Who gets the credit for that? Uh, well, Joe Rudolph and the players. <laughs> you know, if Rudolph's going to get uh, some of the criticism from fans early, then I, he's got to get some of the credit for for the turnaround. But the players, again... I, they've been able to figure some things out. And I know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, cause I had written a story about it. Like it's understandable why there were some of those early challenges, because as, as I had said, Tippmann and Nelson, they hadn't had major roles in their careers. Wisconsin's two starting tackles were injured in fall camp. Tyler beach didn't even practice until the last five days. So, and they were using that rotation, which is, while players said they respected Rudolph's decision, also acknowledged that it's a little tougher to get into a rhythm if you've got to sit out for a series. So I think it took a little longer to come together. Um, and, and everybody, I think, in that room deserves credit for the turnaround. Just a single tackle for loss yesterday for Northwestern, despite the fact Wisconsin ran it 44 times and, and uh, threw it, I guess if you throw, uh, you know, and Graham threw it 23 times. That's, that's a really, I think, a indication of how good they were yesterday offensively, especially um, in being able to keep guys out of the backfield. Northwestern's offense, not as successful in terms of <laughs> keeping guys out of the backfield. No. Um, Wisconsin finished with 12 tackles for loss. They had three sacks. They picked the ball off four times. They had another three breakups, uh, and one forced fumble. But it, it, was, it was across the board, really, really good defensive effort. But it starts with the two guys inside. Uh, yes. Leo Chanel, Jack Sanborn, 24 tackles combined six tackles for loss and a sack. And I know you're based on your questions in the post game, you're going to be writing about them. I, I assume, is that correct? That is a very astute observation. That's okay. the story I'm working on now. It's going to be running Monday. Okay. But those two guys, they have been the, I think it's safe to say they've been the best players on one of the best defenses in the country all year. And that was certainly the case yesterday. hundred percent. The way those two guys are able to impact the game is it's, it's every single week. And I was asking Jack whether he thought, you know, he's not somebody who wants to brag about himself and about the, about the duo, but I asked, and I think you were there, whether it was safe to say that they were playing as well as any linebacker duo in the country. And 
he talked about how much confidence the two of them have, but he also said he didn't, he wanted to let others decide. So I understand his teammates are biased, but I let them decide. <laughs> and everybody to a man was talking about, like Graham said, they're the best duo in the country. There's, there's not even any debate about that. And John Torchio said, it's hard to prove otherwise. And man, the level that they're playing at, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. And I think it's probably more apt just if you're a Wisconsin fan, because uh, I mean, it's not like, we're all watching the linebackers at every team across the country since they went to the three, four in 2013. I think when it's all said and done this year, this might be the best tandem of the, of the inside linebacker tandems. And there have been some really good ones and you can go down the list. Like the 2019 tandem Sanborn was, was a younger player, but Chris Orr had double digit sacks. Um, the TJ Edwards, Ryan Connolly tandem in 2018, they had 200 plus tackles together but they had 21 tackles for loss and six sacks already. This duo has 155 tackles, 28 tackles for loss and nine and a half sacks. And Leo has 81 tackles despite missing two games. That's more tackles than either or, or Sanborn had for the entire season two years ago. So the way they impact the game, the stats they rack up, I think this might be the best duo they've had in three, four era at inside linebacker. I think that's a very easy thing to, I should say, I don't think it's a very easy thing to, to quantify just because the, like the 2016 uh, unit when it was Jack Sitchie and, right. you know, Jack Sitchie and um, TJ Edwards. Like if Jack Sitchie stays healthy, he may have, I mean, I, the way he was playing in 2016, he was just off the charts. Like if, if he had been able to stay healthy in his career, I think we're talking about him as one of the best linebackers that's played here. He was, he was just at a different level, especially that Ohio State game in 2016, right before he ended up getting hurt the following week against Iowa and being out for the rest of the year was just playing at another level. But in terms of a duo, both these guys playing at such a high level, I think you're probably right. Like I, it, it's probably close, but the way that these guys just are, are playmakers and they're playing on the other side of the football, almost or the other side of the line of scrimmage, nearly every play. I think the, there's, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I think there's only like one true deficiency uh, with them. And, and it's more of a, Leo Chanel thing than it is a Jack Sanborn thing. I think, I think he can be, uh, I, I think teams could have some success if uh, he's forced to, to play in coverage against them. Yeah. Pass coverage. He, he admitted a little bit of that too, I think on, on Saturday. Yeah. So I, I think that there may be like that may be a possibility, but otherwise these guys are just at a different level right now. Yeah. Um, again, it's so consistent. It's every week. And even before this weekend, Pro Football Focus, they had had them as the two highest rated linebackers in the Big Ten. And it's hard to see that going down after what they did. I think it's the relationship between the two of them is interesting because of, and again, I know, I think you and I were the, the last two left there talking to Jack about this, but um, anybody who watches Leo can see the the fire that he plays with. And, and he's gotten a lot better at this, but Jim Leonard's talked about this, the, the plan last season, for example, a lot of times, if things were too complex was Leo go downhill and make a play. And if you mess up, Jack will be there to clean it up. Um, again, Leo's gotten better at that, but for whatever reason, that tandem, they play so well off each other. And it's not that Jack can't do some of those things, but that seems to be where Leo is best. Just go blow something up. And if you're wrong, Jack will make it right. Yeah, exactly. And he, and Jack kind of acknowledged it though, didn't he saying, you know, I'm, I, I, I play a little bit more under control. Yes. And it, those styles work for the two of them. And as Jack said, they've played together for, for a while now. This is, 
obviously this is Jack's fourth season in the program. He's a three-year starter, but they've started together now for a second straight season. And Leo, Leo got time as a true freshman in 2019. So they understand each other. They understand how they play. And as Paul Chris would be the first to acknowledge, and I think it's worth pointing out, they're able to have that success because of how good the other guys are around them. The D line, the outside linebackers, like they are the number one defense in the country in a lot of categories because of everybody. But as you said, those two are the ones leading the charge, and it's been incredibly impressive. They weren't the only ones that had good games though yesterday, right? Uh, Caesar Williams continues to play perhaps his best football of his career. I think. Would you say that's safe to say? Yeah, I mean, he was very good late in 2019. I think that game against Minnesota was maybe yeah. his best game, but yeah. he's been very consistent throughout this season and making big plays. Yeah, so he he played fantastic. I mean, he was that first drive went 19 plays. He got hurt, still was able to come back in, made a, a great play on a ball that probably should not have been thrown from Andrew Marty, but you could have said that about a lot of balls that were thrown by him yesterday. Uh, he uh, it tries to throw in one in the end zone. It wasn't open. Caesar turns his head, makes the interception. Probably should have kept it in the in the end zone there. What did, uh, didn't someone say, uh, were you the one that was asking him questions about that? Uh, someone said that uh, Dean Ingram um, told him they need to start practicing uh, kneeling the ball in the end zone or something like that. Yeah, you know, uh, it's easy to get excited after you make a big play. You just want to keep it going. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't. She said, I shouldn't have done that because uh, I took a pretty big hit on the sideline. Uh, but then he also took his helmet off and yeah, it, it, not an ideal, not an ideal uh, end of the uh, situation there for, for Caesar, but a great play by him. And it kind of just set up Wisconsin's ability to then go 94 yards for a touchdown. So, Hey, a, a fifth, I think it was a fifth 90 yard drive this year, or maybe a fourth. Either way, it was uh, that 19 play drive that Northwestern had went for 82 yards. The next five drives combined had 10. And it, it's, it was just, I kind of feel like at least these last two games, teams have had been able to have some success on that first drive. Wisconsin makes some adjustments and then it's lights out. Yeah, their ability to adjust has been impressive. And five those of those five drives, three of them ended with negative yardage, which is preposterous. And it was punt, 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 end of the half, punt. So they've been able to shut the door on, on so many teams. And I have to imagine that's frustrating because we've talked before and we've joked about why do teams even bother running up the middle. And they're just able to take parts of the field away. And it, it doesn't leave a lot of options. So when the offense is playing the way that they are now, I don't know how a team can can catch up. At least maybe I should just speak for the Big Ten West because <laughs> it'll maybe be a different situation in the Big Ten championship game. But for now, they are the cream of the crop in the West and they continue to play like it. Have you seen a bigger fluke than than was the uh, <laughs> the biggest play of the game for Northwestern? It was a sixty it was a sixty eight yard play. Uh, it came after a 19 yard run. The first run, the, the run was a great, great run, right? From, um, from Andrew Clare ran for 19 yards. Nick Kirby came from behind and shook the ball. And it found another Northwestern player, like almost on, like it had eyes, like it had eyes to find the Northwestern player went right to him. And, uh, I think that was, um, who was that Robinson? Uh, yeah. Stefan Robinson. He takes off for 49 yards. All that goes, so it was a 60-yard play. All that goes against Wisconsin's rushing defense, which kind of isn't fair. 
so it allowed Northwestern to run for 114 yards, but you take that away and you can't, but I, 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 I'm okay with the 19 yards being in there. Not so okay being with the 49 yards in there, but either way, they still, uh, on the other 33 carries for, for Northwestern, they had 46 yards. So they were dominant against the run. Once again, pass defense comes up with, with four interceptions. The, you, you mentioned that being the best inside linebacker duo in this three, four era. I'm now willing to say, and I, I know I said I was going to wait till the end of the season, but I have, I've seen enough. I'm going to say that this group is better than 2017. The defense overall. Yes. I've seen it. All right. Yeah, that's that's I, that's a reasonable uh, comment. I'd like to evaluate it in the totality of both seasons, but absolutely they, not. They continue to be impressive. I would say though, you asked me whether I'd seen uh, a bigger fluke play. I'd like to throw one more out there from the same game when CJ Getz came in and tipped the pass that was clearly intended for another receiver, just fell into the hands of uh, was it the running back? Yeah, and Paul. and uh, went for a, a game that should have been that play should have been blown up. I mean, it's better to be lucky than good sometimes, but you can't get lucky enough to score uh, any touchdowns apparently against this defense. Cause the only touchdown was the offense coughing it up. That's a third. That's the third shot out of the year, right? Uh, technically. Well, technically it's not, but uh, <laughs> however you want to define it, I don't know what more the defense can do. Poor defense with the scoring defense numbers, right? Yeah. How many touchdowns is that now? That's I think it's five. Uh, I'm trying to think. Five is it five just from the offense? That's five just from the offense and one from special teams, right? Yeah. Mertz had two pick sixes. Wolf had one. Mertz lost a fumble that went for a score. Obviously, the Julius Davis one, and then the, the return. So, uh, poor scoring defense numbers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So the Wisconsin's given up what eighteen touchdowns all year. Six of them have come without the defense on the field. So they've essentially given up twelve touchdowns defensively Georgia's given up eight Georgia is just insane um, <laughs> they are at a different level and if, if not for Georgia everyone would be talking about Wisconsin's defense but hey that's okay they have won uh, six in a row and we'll try and go and make it seven when they take on Nebraska on Saturday for, for you um, we, we kind of talked about this Last week, has anything changed in your mind in terms of what this offense, how good this offense can be considered in the Paul Christ era? Can it can it be on the 2017 level? Is it, it could it approach 2019 or is, or is this uh, or, or is third the best they can probably possibly do? You know, during uh, Paul Christ tenure. I think I have a hard time elevating them above those groups when it was so below average for so long this season. Like, I don't know. I mean, w- the ceiling can be. Very high, but let's see what happens if they get to a Big Ten championship game and, and have to play a top 10 team. Um, will they look more like they did in those three losses or, or will they play the way they have played of late? Right now, I don't think they can approach that because there's only been a handful of games where they've they've been at this high of a level this season. That's just my opinion. They're also playing at a, at a high level at the right time, right? hundred percent. Yeah. And it's funny, like if the schedules were reversed, uh, it'd be much different conversations, but this is the way it played out. Um, and they're playing their best football at their right, at the right time. And there's just nobody else in the big 10 West right now that that is on that level. I also kind of feel like it'd be a lot more interesting too, right? Like <laughs> if, if what the, 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 they had a backloaded schedule. Yes. Well, sure. They'd be like number two in the country right now. <laughs> 
yeah, number two, yeah, number two in the country, and having games with Notre Dame, Michigan, and and Penn State at this point in the season, I think that that could be a lot of fun. I think. Uh, also, is there a better nickname than War Machine? Um, yeah, that's a good one. That uh, for for those that didn't hear that story, uh, Jim Leonard nicknamed Braylon Allen War Machine during summer strength and conditioning. Uh, the character from Iron Man, and then it it uh, got around to the defense, and then got to the whole team, and and now apparently that's what they call him. Although I've heard some different nicknames. Julius Davis said he's referred to. Uh, Braylon as Mo- Monstar <laughs> from the Toon Squad, you know, or I guess from the other uh, team in Space Jam. Um, but uh, I kind of like the Jewelry Thief, which is John Torchio's nickname. nickname. And again, uh, came up with another one, uh, another pick in the game against Northwestern. All right. One uh, overreaction or no for you. And this one was kind of part of the Twitter questions, but I want to throw it in here instead. Overreact or no? UW can stack up with anyone in the East or no? I guess I don't know what stack up means. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they can beat Ohio State. And maybe I'll eat crow in a few weeks if we see that matchup. So I'm going to say um, that's, a, that's an overreaction at this point. Anyone is a, is a big, is a big, uh, anyone probably not just because of Ohio state. I think, I think they can play I th- Ohio I'm state's offense state. is probably Ohio state's offense is just, you know, ridiculous, but, yep. but their defense continues to be, I don't want to say a sieve, but, um, it, it hasn't been great. They were not very good against Purdue. Aiden O'Connell had another huge game. So, if Wisconsin's passing game can can uh, make some plays and some of the plays we've seen these last few weeks, I think that game is a lot more interesting than uh, maybe some people think it could be. The other, uh, otherwise, I think yes, yeah, certainly I think they can match up with Michigan State. I think the Michigan game uh, at Camp Randall earlier in the year was a close game until Graham got knocked out. So yeah, I think they can match up with them, and and certainly they. I've said we said it on uh, last week's podcast. If if you know Penn State's not going to be there, but if that were somehow Penn State. Again, if they got another opportunity to them, I'd take them. I take Wisconsin in a second at this point. Yeah, I think so too. Um, to me, it always comes back to Ohio State. They, they've been they've been the carrying the torch for the Big Ten for for a while, and I would love to see that matchup. Even though we've seen it a handful of times already, I just I don't know exactly what what that would mean. You know, will it be like matchup as in it's a one possession game where they've got a chance to win in the fourth quarter? Maybe I don't know, but. Top to bottom, a lot of times it comes down to who's got the better players across the board, and, and that's consistently been Ohio State. They, they still do have the best players, but it'll, yes. it, it depends on who's, in my mind, how they're playing in that moment. And again, Wisconsin, you know, Ohio State finishes with, what, Michigan State and Michigan? Michigan, yeah, that's a tough, that's a tough close, no doubt. So we'll see if they end up uh, getting to the Big Ten championship game. Uh, or if it could be Michigan again, or even Michigan State potentially playing, playing spoiler somehow. All right, uh, just a few Twitter questions. As you'd imagine, there were not a lot of upset people after yesterday. Uh, but we'll start with uh, Jump Around Bucky. He says, uh, do you think the athletic department should be concerned by the number of empty seats? It was not just the student section. Would you want to go to that game when it's like <laughs> 35 degrees and the weather's like that? I don't know. I guess there's past seasons where the answer would be yes. 
Should well, they be there's... concerned? I mean, what are they going to do? Give well, out free I... tickets? Well, here's the thing. Uh, a large portion of that stadium is uh, season tickets. And unless the um, season ticket rate drops below 90%, which it hasn't, I don't think they're going to be too concerned. If people are not there, that kind of sucks. It's, it's unfortunate. It's a bad look. They still paid for the tickets for the most part. Right. So it's not like the athletic department is not getting that money, uh, but it's Northwestern. And I'll, I, I practically had to give my ticket. Like, so I do have, our family does have season tickets and have been selling them all year and making, you know, some good money on them on StubHub. I had to practically give them away to get the, to get somebody to take them that, which is the first time that's happened this year. It's Northwestern, which means very few visiting fans are coming in and, uh, it wasn't the, the weather wasn't great, and you know for the most part, you know everyone knew what kind of game it was going to be. The the more surprising thing is is uh, Nebraska. I, I know Nebraska is not any good. Their fans they usually travel, but tickets are very very easy to get for next week too. So that that is I guess a little bit of a an eyebrow raiser. But again, unless unless the people stop renewing their season tickets, which hasn't happened, I don't think the athletic department's going to be worried about it. Yeah, I think those are all valid points. Uh, Gasman asks, how many of Wisconsin's backup defensive players could be starting on other teams? The backup defense has been <laughs> looking good all year when in. I guess it well, depends on the team. but Well, um, just think about, I mean, I guess just think about guys that are on that defense now that are going to be starters next year for Wisconsin. I mean, I think there's obviously quite a few, right? Uh Alexander Smith, uh, Dean Ingram. I guess Dean's part of the first team offense, but or first team defense. But he's going to be a starter next year in the in the base. Hunter Wooler, you know, Travion Blaylock, like guys that uh, I think could and I, I think could be playing right now and playing well are going to be in the starting lineup next year. The inside linebackers. I mean, Jordan Turner has two interceptions in two games. I think he's going to be the guy next. Are we on the same? Are we on the same page now? Both. Uh, Sanborn and Chanel going to be gone? Uh, hard for me to say now that Chanel might stick around if he winds up uh, continuing on this pace. He's just been ridiculous. Yeah, so I'm, I'm putting him in the category of gone, but Jordan Turner, or even along the defensive line, like Rose Johnson and um, James Thompson Jr., I think all those guys can play. And, and the outside linebackers, we, we've seen Younger guys make plays. CJ gets continues to, you know, when he gets his opportunities, to make plays like they're, we, I think we both agree that they're going to take a step back on defense next year, but I don't know how big of a step back it's going to be. I feel like we had that conversation uh, just in general, a, a lot of years and they managed to just fill in roles. Um, now it'd be very difficult to replace those two inside linebackers uh, and the production that they've had, but this defense, as long as they've got Jim Leonard, I think they're going to be okay. Did you see what Pat Fitzgerald, I don't know if he saw us, and I don't know when it was recorded. I think it must have been back in July, maybe at Big Ten media days. But he did like an interview, and they did like an all-Big Ten offense and defense, and they showed it to him. They showed it to Pat Fitzgerald, who was a fantastic linebacker at Northwestern. But uh, they showed him the offense, and he didn't really have a lot of uh, qualms. But then he, he looked on defense, and he was not on it. <laughs> he was not on it, but Jim Leonard was. And Jim Leonard's like, or uh, Pat Fitzgerald's like, if Jim Leonard's on there, I got to be on there. No disrespect, <laughs> no disrespect to Jim Leonard, but come on, man. Uh, 
And so Scott Nelson tweeted out, tweeted out the clip yesterday and was like, don't disrespect the goat. And, and um, I don't know where the, I, I, I highly doubt that played any kind of motivation, but I, I had not seen that before. And um, just to dismiss coach Jim Leonard like that, disrespectful, disrespectful from Pat Fitzgerald and uh, his defense was, I should say Pat, uh, Jim Leonard's defense took it to him yesterday. Either way, we'll see Wisconsin going to be hosting uh, Scott Frost and whoever else is on that offensive staff when they, <laughs> when they come to Madison on Saturday uh, coming up. And again, North Nebraska, not good uh, in terms of their record, but I think they're better than a record. Is that, is that easy to say? Fair to say that Nebraska is better than its record. Yes. Which is currently three and seven. Uh, yeah. The way that they, I mean, the way they the played losses, some teams. Yeah. Four of the losses were to teams that were like, what in the top 10 of the college football playoff ranking and all every, all seven losses have been by single digits. I'm sure we'll get in into it more on our next show later in the week. Um, but I don't know. Well, I'd be surprised if they came in and won, <laughs> but they've, they, they've played. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see how, where they are mentally, whether they come out and play with some, some vigor, I, I suspect they probably will uh, an opportunity to play a little spoiler for Wisconsin. We'll talk about it later this week. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks Zach. All right. There is Jesse temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp here on the Wisconsin sports zone radio network.